God, thank you for this morning and your word, Lord. God, we, we come here ready and just willing to hear from you. Our attention is upon you. God, we, we want to be where you are, and I know you are in the word today. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to help us, God, to give us understanding, Lord, of your word, and to hear your voice, God. May you speak to each one of us this morning. I pray your spirit, God, to bless, to touch, to anoint this time. And I ask for this, all in your name, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so we continue our study here in the book of Romans. And if you want to look real quick in Romans chapter 1, remember we ended in verse 15 where Paul said, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now we're we left we 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 came to that verse and we left off there last week. Now I, I want to give to you this word eager. Now it's really two words in original language in the Greek. The Greek is uh, prothumus, which means f- literally forward passion. Those two words. So so Paul is is eager. He's driven to really want to share the gospel in Rome. And so as we come to the next two verses, as we come to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that's what we're going to cover today, we find what drives Paul, what motivates him, what really moves him. And he puts it all right there in verse 16 and 17. By the way, in this, remember this letter, this epistle, uh, the old word for it, that Paul is writing here. It's a book in our Bible, but it's actually this letter and from verse 1 through 17, we're going to finish up to 17 today. That's actually his introduction, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but 16 and 17 really encapsulates uh, just like a short um, like summary almost of what Paul's going to expound on in the whole book. So it's real important that we kind of sit upon these two verses. So as we move on in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, we're going to see this. The driving force to share Jesus. This is Paul's motive. This is what drives him. This is the reason why he wants to come to Rome to, with this forward passion. He's eager to share Jesus. And what he explains here in verse 16 and 17 is the driving force to share Jesus. I was reading about this teenager he lost his contact lens while he was playing basketball in the driveway of his house. Well, after searching for it, he went in and told his mother and said, you know what, the lens, the contact is nowhere to be found. Sorry. But not for mom. <laughs> mom was determined. So she went outside herself and looked. Just after a few minutes, she returned with the contact safely in her hands. Well, this boy, this youth was surprised and said, I really looked hard. I did. I looked for that, mom. How do you manage to find it? Well, the mom said, we weren't looking for the same thing. Huh? The boy said, what, what, what do you mean? Well, the mom replies, you were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. <laughs> what motivates you, right? It's what's behind that, what moves you, right? What moves you 
to share Jesus. And this is what we find today, the driving force to share Jesus in these two verses, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Now we're going to see four things here. And, and, and today I'm doing something different. My, my, my points here, or our outline heading, is a little more longer in words and verbiage. So I'm going to just give them to you as we go. So the first thing I want you to see is Paul, number one, is not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. That's the point. That's what we're going to see. This is our outline heading. Number one is Paul is not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. Now take a look with me here in verse 16. Matter of fact, I'm going to read the uh, two verses here, all, all two verses, but then we're going to go back. Verse 16, Romans 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I'm teaching now the ESV version if you're wondering what I'm reading. So let's begin here. Number one. Paul is not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. He says here once again in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, Paul is not shy about the message of Jesus when he goes to Rome. He's, he, he, remember, he was telling him, look, I want to go see you guys. He's never been there. He, God hasn't uh, allowed him to go there, but he, he really wants to go there. And then he's not ashamed to, to go to Rome. And that's even though the Romans back then, they thought, well, they laugh at Jesus. I mean, here's this carpenter, poor carpenter guy that ended up dying on the cross. That's all they knew. And they would laugh at Jesus in the name of Jesus. Well, Paul's ready to go even with that. Paul's ready to go to Rome even with the Jews who are are persecuting even Paul and the Christians at this time, saying, you guys are committing blasphemy, saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And not only that, the Gentiles there, they, that they call it foolishness. Oh, what you guys are into, the cross, all this, this is, this is, you guys are talking like fools. It's dumb here. But that does not stop Paul at all. It doesn't stop him. He's, he's eager. He's willing. He's, he's driven. He's not ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed. And he goes on to say in verse 16, of the gospel. And we know the word gospel, it literally means good news. Right? It's the good news that Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross. That when he died on the cross, he atoned for our sins. Something we couldn't do. Jesus did that in dying on the cross. He conquered sin in that way. And when he rose again, he conquered sin and death, didn't he? And he proved who he was. He proved who he is, I should say. And, and because he's alive now. So the gospel is that good news of salvation in Christ Jesus. The gospel really speaks of the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, that Jesus is God the Son. This gospel is not something that Paul came up with. You know, it's not his fancy idea or the Christians got together. You know, let's, yeah, Jesus was a great person and, you know, we followed him, but let's put this together. No, the gospel is from God. You remember in verse 1, Paul wrote that 
that he said that um, this is uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel, what? Of God. So here's Paul. He's not ashamed because this is, this is what God put out. So Paul, here's the idea. Paul is so ever bold. He will not back down on this. The gospel is about Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Now, I had to stop and think about this just for a moment. And you know what hit my heart was this. This is amazing, isn't this? That God would come down to us. What is that? Right? He didn't sit there and wait for us to get better. Well, you know, when, when they finally get their act together, yeah? Oh, yeah, then, then I'll come and I'll help them. No, we were, we were all lost. We were all messed up. Yeah, we were rebelling against God to the point that even, you know what we're going to see in Romans, that we were at enmity. We were enemies of the Lord. Isn't this amazing that God would come to us? That God would come and be born a man to die for me? For me? Do, do I deserve that? Listen, from a holy God, right? Who am I that God would do that for me? We know God's driving force, right? What was that? Love. Because he loves us. That's why he did. That's what drove Jesus to come. So can you imagine Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what Jesus did. You you know what? Paul, this is what drives him. Paul is like, how could I be ashamed of this person? who's come for me, who died on a cross for me, who, who loves me, who has my heart. How could I be ashamed of that person? I, I think about no wonder Paul is ever so bold. No wonder he doesn't hold back. No wonder going to Rome, a place he never been. Rome, the, 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 the center of the empire, right? Where the Caesar is, where, where, where he, he just mandates persecution for Christians, and it goes out, here's Paul. No, I want to go there. I'm going. Paul doesn't back off because of Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. No wonder Paul never was ashamed or backed down in our studies right in the book of Acts on Wednesday. We've seen Paul in prison in the city of Philippi. We see him chased out of Thessalonica. We see him laughed at in, the, in Athens. And he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra, right? And what did he do? He went back into that city. Crazy, crazy guy. Something's driving him, right? Paul kept sharing the message, and it was Jesus. It was the gospel. Paul was ready to still go to Rome, even if he was going to face persecution. So you see, Paul is not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. I didn't just put gospel here because it made me think about Jesus, the person of Christ, you guys. We don't want to be ashamed of the person of Christ. Yes, the gospel we want to share, but sometimes we are a little bit ashamed, right? You know, I was thinking about when when I write a special note uh, in the birthday card, say to my, you know, to my wife, um, I describe 
You know, I put a little note in there and I describe why she's so special to me, how she affects my life and her love fills my heart and all those things. I'm not going to read, I'm going to be ashamed to read that to you, but that's basically the gist of it. I'm not ashamed to express what this person, what's in my heart, how this person, how my wife means to me. So I want you to get that thought in your mind. We have special people in our lives, and, and we express it. We want to. We're not shy about it because it's in our heart, and they mean so much. Well, think about Paul now. Paul is not ashamed of this person, Jesus Christ, of the gospel, of why he came and what he did. Paul is not ashamed. He's not ashamed at all. You know, many believers have to say, keep their faith a secret, don't they? Why is that? Well, we, we are a little shame, yeah? Been in those situations where, oh, you know, like the Spirit's moving you to say something, but you don't, and I, I have them too. And we're, we're a little shame. Why? We're like maybe protecting our pride, you know? Maybe we're, 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 it's self-preservation kicking in and, and we're catering to our insecurities that are boiling inside, right? Maybe we're afraid of losing our status among our friends or, or maybe we'll be looked at as a fool or maybe, maybe it's a job situation and, and a provision situation like, well, I don't want to lose my job. I, I, I don't want to lose my position here and all that. But we cannot be. We cannot be that way. We, want, we cannot keep our faith a secret. Did you know there's no such thing in the Bible of undercover Christians? Right? No. Vance Abner said this, The gospel is not a secret to be hoarded, but a story to be heralded. That's what it's about, you guys. Paul Paul is not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. So this is one of the things. This is one of the things that drives him. This driving force inside of him to share Jesus. Let's go to the second thing. And number two is Paul knows that nothing hinders the power of salvation. Number two is nothing hinders the power in salvation. Uh, let's go on in verse 16. It says, For it is the power of God for salvation. And we'll stop there. The gospel is the power of God. Now, the word power there is the Greek word dunamis. And we get our English word dynamite. And so that's the idea. This, this is powerful. It's incredible power because it's the power of God. It, it, Salvation, uh, really, the gospel, everything what it's about, what we see is the incredible power of, let me put it this way, the Almighty God. Yeah? It's that power of the Almighty God working in the gospel here. And what is it? For salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. The word there really is soteria, which means deliverance, it means rescue. See, we're delivered, we're rescued from the penalty of our sin, the death and destiny of hell because of the consequences of our sin. 
And so salvation is that deliverance from that. That's how God saves us. He rescues us. And also, you know what? He delivers us from our sin nature, our sin. In this way, he frees us from the bondage of our sin, our sinful nature. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, you know, our, our, really our, our forefathers, you can say. And you know what? We inherited a sinful nature. It's been passed down. It's part of our, the body, the flesh we live in. And we're in bondage to that. But when Jesus comes into our life, we are free from its control over us. So why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power. Let me put it this way. It's the power of the all-powerful God powerfully at work in saving us from our sin. That's what it is, you guys. This is the power of salvation. In Jeremiah 32, 17, it says, Ah, Lord, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Right? We know, we believe that God created everything. And if he created everything, how could anything be too hard for him? Especially when it comes to working in our lives. Especially when it comes to saving us. Especially when it comes to freeing us from the bondage of sin. See, Jesus does what no one can do. Jesus, Jesus comes and helps us in a way. And even he does things we can't do ourselves. And that's why we need Jesus. They say if you bathe and dress up a, a pig, right? Might look nice, but eventually where's the pig going to go? Back into the mud and wallow in the mud, right? Why? Because it's in his nature. He likes the mud. And that's how it is for us with our sin nature. We, we, we go back to that. We lean to that. Something as believers, even though we're free from the bonds of sin, we're, there's that pull from this body we live in. One day, we will go to heaven. We'll be free of this sinful body. We'll have our glorified body inside. Yeah! No more of that. But today, you do not have to be controlled by your sin nature because the truth sets you free and the truth of what Jesus has done and dying on the cross, rising again, sets you free. Now, we're going to get more into that later in chapter 6. and I, I love that, 6 and 7, but but that's the idea here. This is the power of God here. In the world, right, there's social reforms. There's uh, people trying to educate. There's rehab, all of that. But it can only go so far, right, because the root is a sin nature. And that, there's only one way to deal with that. Only Jesus can get to this root. Only he can free us. Only he can, you know what? Make us into new creations, right? Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, creature or creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. That's what happens. We become a new person. That's what Jesus does. We're that the the chains to our sinful nature is cut, and now we're a new person. Only Christ can do that. Nothing else. You see. It's not about reformation that happens in our life, but it's transformation 
that happens when we come to Jesus Christ. So nothing hinders the power of salvation in your life. Understand that today. Understand that. There's an old worship song. Um, we sing it time to time still. You guys know it. It's called Mighty to Save. You guys know that, right? And I love that song because every time I, we sing that and in the chorus, I think about how God can save me, even me. In the chorus, it says, Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation, he rose and what? Conquered, right? Conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. When he rose again, his death on the cross atoned for my sins. And everything he did was so that I can conquer my sin. That that root of sin no longer has that control over me. And I love the part. It says that Savior, he can move the mountains. Because you know what the biggest mountain is? Me. Me. It's me. I'm the issue. That old sinful flesh. My old habits. My, my, my bad choices. It's me. Where's their hope then? Right? I mean, don't think that. We think that though. We can be in the middle of things and we start thinking, oh, there's no hope for me, right? There, oh, God, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. And all we're doing is we look at ourselves and go, there's, there's, I can't do it. And we get discouraged, depressed, and the whole thing. But let me ask you this. Is your sin, is, is your habits, is your failures greater than the Almighty God? No. No, it's not. That's the power, you guys. The power. The almighty God who created all things. Genesis 1, right? He said, let there be light. And then there was light. He spoke creation into existence. The power of the almighty God we see in the Old Testament when, when, when the plagues came upon Egypt, when God parted the Red Sea, when he took care of Israel throughout the wilderness, when, when he defeated their enemies, when he brought the earthquakes, when, when he defeated all the people in the promised land, when I was thinking about when the sun stood still, remember that? That's our God. That's him. Or how about Jesus? Jesus showed his power in the New Testament when he stilled the storms. When he multiplied the bread and fed the thousands. When he cast out demons. Do you ever feel like, oh, I can't do this. These demons is too much. Do you think God's greater? Yeah. Jesus cast out the demons. When he healed the diseased and the sick. When he raised the dead. If he can raise the dead, he can raise us, can't he? There is nothing, you guys, that hinders God in your life in Jesus Christ. Understand that. Yeah, we, we all have struggles. I have struggles. I understand. I understand where it comes from. I understand my choices. I understand when I'm challenged. I understand when the devil comes and tempts me. And sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we fail, God. But we need to understand that that's not it. No, God 
is much more powerful. And His power in your salvation is going to make the difference in your life. These verses is our theme. Remember our theme in the book of Romans? Our theme is the saving power of God is in Jesus Christ. That means God has the power for you and even me. So you understand why Paul's not ashamed here? This is the power of how God transforms us, how God helps us, how God helps us to live for him. That's the driving force to share Jesus. So Paul, he's not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. Paul knows nothing hinders the power and salvation. And then number three here, Paul knows no one who believes is ever left out. No one who believes is ever left out. He goes on here, I'll just read it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to what? Everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul says, you know what? This is for everyone. This is given out to everyone. Or should I say this opportunity is there for everyone. You know what? In the original language, everyone means everyone. Right? Easy. Anybody. You. Me. Yeah, I am smart, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Uh, but, but understand that. Receive that today. Whether you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, male or female. It, it's out there for every person. Sometimes we categorize ourselves. No. Not in this. And it's qualified here, right, to everyone who what? Believes. Who puts their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. His work on the cross. What I said, his atonement for our sins. When you see that, when you see what God has done, this is for you. When you believe that, when you trust Jesus for his work on the cross for you. Now, Paul adds here in verse 16 at the end, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, that doesn't mean that Jews are better than the Gentiles. No, it just means that that God gave that opportunity to the Jewish guys first because they were his chosen people. They were called of God in the Old Testament to know God, take the things of God, and share it with the world. They didn't do a great job of that, but... Jesus first went to the Jews. So to the Jews first, because they're God's chosen people. And then to the Greek, which is another word for Gentiles. But what he's saying basically is that it's for everybody. It's for everyone. So it's not about your race or your place in the world. What's important here is this opportunity is offered to everyone. It's for anyone that believes, right? That's really the qualifying thing. It's not about Jew. It's not about Gentile. Later in Ephesians, he said, there is no Jew, Gentile, male, female. We're all one. This is about believing, believing the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So this power of salvation is found in that. You know, uh, when I was a very young Christian as a teenager, um, I was somehow, I don't know where I found it. I found a King James Bible, and 
It was the old one. And that was like my first Bible. I, I forgot, maybe it somehow it was given to our family or something. It was a little green Bible, I remember. But I remember um, a few months or so later at the chapel store uh, in Calvary Costa Mesa where I got saved, um, I, I thought, I'm going to get my own Bible. And I went and I bought a C.I. Schofield uh, study Bible, reference Bible. And I love the thing. I, I still have it in a box. Oh, hey, there's one there. Yeah, I see that hand. But, uh, uh, but anyway, um, I love that Bible. But, you know, I, I'll never forget in the study notes, there was a definition for beliefs. And this, this is what he wrote. It, it, it means this, adherence to, committal to, faith in, Reliance upon trust in. That, that's a lot. That, that, that really expands what it means to believe. We know James says, hey, even the demons believe. We can believe there's God. Yeah, people believe God exists. But do they really believe, believe in Christ? The study notes went on to say that this involves not only the con- consent of the mind, but an act of the heart and will so understand this is believes this is embracing it all this is entrusting your whole life this is this is committing to relying on trusting in the work of christ on the cross so when you believe like that you know what no one who believes is ever left out do you understand that that what that's what's important is to believe and once you believe it's there, the power of God and His salvation to change you, transform you, to save you. It's there, you guys. It's there. You're not left out. You're not like a special case. Well, I'm the only special case. It's for everybody else. You ever have those thoughts? Right? You think, oh, I'm too far gone. Right? You know, for my um, birthday, the kids gave me a gift of these outdoor, um, these two chairs and a table that they had bought, used on Facebook, but then um, refurbished it, you know, sanded it down and refinished it, took it apart, painted uh, the, the metal, but the wood part is all beautiful. It's all refinished. And, 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 and they showed, it's, it's wonderful. They gave it to me. I, I couldn't, I was like, wow, what, what a great present, you know. Sit outside, you know, have my tea and all this stuff. But it, it, was, it was awesome. Well, they were talking to me about it, about what it looked like before. So they showed me a picture, you know, and, and I looked at the before and I looked at the after there and I couldn't believe it. What an amazing transformation. What a work. What, and that's what God does. God is so powerful that he can change us no matter what we think. God sees, you know what, our part, potential in Christ Jesus Every one of us. So he can take anyone and everyone who believes he can save you and change you. No one is left out. No one is. Understand that today. Hear my voice. Hear God saying that to you. You know what? Maybe you need to hear this. You belong. You belong. You belong because God has done that. You are a child of God, beloved. 
and you'll always be. No one is left out. So you see why Paul is driven to take the gospel to Rome and everywhere. This is the driving force to share Jesus for Paul. He's not ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. He knows nothing hinders the power and salvation. And and he knows no one who believes is ever left out. And finally, number four, one more thing. Paul sees this. Now righteousness is obtained through faith. Now, righteousness is obtained through faith. And here's verse 17. Take a look here. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul says, For in it, for in what? The gospel, in the salvation of God, the powerful salvation of God, is what? The righteousness of God. That's revealed there. Let me put it this way. This work of salvation through Christ, right? We can see, first of all, the character of God's righteousness. We can see the character of God's righteousness. Well, in what way? What is that? Well, let's think about this for a moment. Remember, God is holy and righteous. God is just too, right? And so there's no sin in him. There's no sin in heaven. This is, this is God. So when sin happens, he must judge that sin, even though he loves the sinner. He's got, I mean, if he turns his head to it, he's not righteous. He's not holy. He's not just. He cannot turn a blind eye to sin. The penalty has to be made. God is righteous. So what's the solution here? Well, he sent Jesus to die in our place. This is what, and we're going to be seeing again, a lot of this we're going to get deeper into, but this is the substitutionary, right, atonement, that Christ died in our place. The judgment we should have received Christ said, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in for you. It's like a, a substitute, or a pin, or what do you call it? Substitute hitter, right? You know, someone goes and hits for you. Or, it's, or someone goes and pays your fine. That's what Jesus did. He went and died in our place and took the judgment. So the solution was Jesus. So now God's righteousness is still upheld. And now, because of Jesus, God, who loves us, can justly save us. He can righteously save us. We see God's righteousness in this whole work that God has done. Um, Take a moment. Just turn over to 1 John. It will be on your screen, too. But 1 John 1, verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says here, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins uh, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we sin, we come to God, we repent, we're honest with Him, we confess our sins, then you know what? He's faithful. God is faithful to do that. He will forgive you and cleanse you 
of, of your sins, of all unrighteousness there. But notice it says here that he is faithful in what? Just. He is righteous to forgive you. He has the means now. He can adequately, justly forgive you because of what Christ has done on the cross. That's what it's saying. This holy God before, he has to upheld his righteous law. He has to judge your sin. But when we come to Christ and we believe in the work of Jesus on the cross, then God can justly forgive us. Do you understand that now? Do you understand how ready God's forgiveness is there for you? How God in his own righteousness can righteously forgive you now? Isn't this incredible? I, I just love this verse. It's just unfolding before us right now. And then he goes on to say this, back to Romans 1.17. He goes on to say uh, that it is revealed now. His righteousness is revealed from faith for faith. Now that's interesting. I like how the ESV puts this because I think it makes it really clear. So God's righteousness is revealed from faith, first of all. We can see his righteous act from faith's view. We can see what he did and how righteous he is from faith's view. We see what the word says. We believe in what Jesus did. And so we can see, well, God is righteous. He had to judge sin, but he sent Jesus. And so he's still righteous in all of this. God's righteousness is shining out. So from faith's view, with faith eyes, we see this truth. And then Paul writes, for faith. So God's righteous act is for our faith. It's for all who put faith in Jesus Christ. Then we can be saved. It's so that our faith would look to what Christ has done, understand the righteousness of God, what had to be done, and then we can be saved, and you know what? Made right before God. That we can be made righteous before the Lord. So we can see this from faith, but it's all for our faith to believe in Christ that we can have salvation, you guys. So with this faith, we can be made righteous. Now, turn over to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul kind of expands it there. 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says here, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think this brings it all together. For our sake, because he loved us, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, to take upon him, uh, take upon his body our sin, one who knew no sin. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, right? No blemish, no sin, nothing. He took upon our sin to be that sacrifice so that he would take the judgment and penalty on him so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That God's righteousness now would be bestowed upon us. 
that we would be right with God, that we would now be righteous before the, the Lord. The gospel, see, reveals God's righteous act with Jesus that satisfied God's righteous law so that our righteous God can righteously declare us righteous. Got that? I'll say it again. The gospel reveals God's righteous act with Jesus that satisfies God's righteous law so that our righteous God can righteously declare us righteous. Isn't that awesome? Do you, I mean, this is, this, isn't, this is a lot deeper than, you know, Jesus died for your sins, so be saved. It's understanding what God did, what his plan was, and, and how important it was for Jesus to come. And how important it is for us to believe in all this that he has done. And then what's mind-blowing about all this is that righteousness of God that we have now, right? Is that he looks upon us because of Jesus. You know what? He looks at us and we're righteous. That's crazy because I don't see that. But because of Christ, my position, my standing, I should say, before the Lord now, because of Jesus, I'm righteous. I'm amazed at that. You know, there's a song out there by um, uh, Mercy Me, and there's a line in the chorus that says, the cross has made you flawless. Oh, I was listening to that in a car, you know, on a radio station, and it came out. I was like, one day I was like, oh, it just clicked. It's like, oh, I get it, Lord. I get it. I mean, for so long, I thought, oh, righteous, I'm not righteous. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I can get in heaven because I have a right standing because my position, I may stand, all this stuff. But you see me as flawless? That, that just really hits me. So then Paul says here, at the end of, back to Romans 1, uh, at the end of verse 17, then he says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. And Paul, remember, they didn't have the New Testament, so he's going to be referring a lot to the Old Testament in our study in Romans. And, and, but he's pulling these truths out. That, that this idea that God makes us righteous, that, that we can be righteous before God, isn't a new idea. It's been in the Bible for a long time. We're going to see that. We're going to see that about Abraham. And, 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 and so we'll, we'll find that out. But he says, as it's written, you know, Habakkuk 2, 4. says, the righteous shall live by faith. The old word in King James, in my mind too, is, is the just, right? The just shall live by faith. It, that's this idea. I mean, more than 50, 60 times justified, just, righteous. It, it, righteousness is, is in, the Rome, in the book of Romans. We're going to see this a lot. It's a huge part of understanding Romans. So we have been justified, we have been made just, we have been made righteous by our faith and what we believe. And again, that flawless idea is here. Uh, so many times I like to define justification. It's a big word. Um, it means just as if I never sinned. And I think that's a great way to, to see that. So by faith, we are justified. Our standing before God is by faith. So we 
live by that. Our life is conducted in that way. We go on in that way, seeing that God, in our belief in Jesus, that God has made us righteous and he looks upon us as righteous. He's declared us as righteous. You know what that means? That means if you stumble and fall, you know what? The blood of Christ is still there for you to forgive you, to cleanse you, to pick you up. Your standing before Jesus never changes. We're not righteous at all, but God gives us his righteousness to make us righteous. That's what's going on here. Now, this is no excuse to say, oh, well, God sees me as righteous. I can go do whatever I like, you know, kind of thing. We're going to see that too later in Romans 6. But, uh, but no, that's not who we are anymore, right? We've been freed from the bondage of sin, and it's not an excuse for that. No, it's not. But we can live in this righteousness now. So now righteousness is obtained through faith. Do you understand that now? It's believing, embracing Jesus and everything that he is. It's, it's like, I'm going to g- grab all of you, Jesus, <laughs> kind of thing. Not just, oh, a little bit. No, it's not just going through the uh, buffet line and grabbing a little here, a little there. No, I'm taking a whole tray with me, you know, kind of thing. No one else can have it. That, that's that idea. Now righteousness is obtained through faith, and we live by that. We understand that. We know who we are. We know how God looks at us, and so God looks at us that way. Then we know he's working in us. We know that he, he's moving, that he's not like, ah, you did that thing, sorry. Yeah, Get yourself together, and then come back, and then I'll help you. No. That's that daily grace that God gives us. Even though we're not perfect, he sees us as righteous. This is just... Mind-blowing, right? And it's all by faith. This uh, evangelism class, I remember, uh, you will learn how to evangelize people and stuff, but one of the first things is when you approach someone is to ask a person, if you happen to die today and you were to stand before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And it's a, it's a good thought-provoking question. You know, oh, yeah, well, I hope I'm, I can get in, is the answers I get. Or, well, because, you know, I, I, I tithe to the church, or, you know, I do good things more than bad things. And, and it, it's a great way to start a conversation and bring them to Jesus Christ. But what would you say? What would you say? And I have talked to many Christians over the years. And in a similar sense, uh, they, they would say, well, I hope I get into heaven. Or most likely, uh, probably. We should be saying, no, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. Because I know it's not because of my merit. It's not what I do because anything I do is just, Nothing, filthy rags kind of thing, right? It's been tainted with sin. There's no amount of good that I can do to gain entrance to heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can make us right with God and give us the righteousness so that we can even enter this holy and righteous and pure heaven, right? It's only God who can do that. The answer is, Jesus, 
If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And I would say, because of Jesus. And he would say, come right in. <laughs> come right in. The evangelist Roy Gustafson said, religion is the story of what a sinful man tries to do for a holy God. The gospel is the story of what a holy God has done for sinful men. Remember that. Remember that. So, you know what this means for you and I? Most of you I see out there, we're, we're believers. Yeah, we know Christ. You, you've been taught these things. Most of you understand this righteousness from God. But I'll tell you what happens. Trouble comes. A trial. Bad things happen in your life. Really bad things. And what enters your mind? Doubt, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe God changed his mind. Maybe God doesn't see me in the same way because, you know what, I have been doing really good in this area of my life. Yeah? Maybe you start going, oh, this is punishment for me. God is judging me. Maybe, well, I, I, I deserve it because of this and that. I'm not a good person. And you start going down that road and you end up in this big hole. Yeah. And a lot of people end up in that big hole and they can't climb out of it. And all they think about is their weakness, their failure, their sin, how bad they are. We've got to get back to what's in here. We have to understand the truth that we're finding this morning. Why Paul is so driven. Because it's the power of salvation. Because God makes us righteous, not you. Yeah, trials are going to come. Yeah, we're going to stumble and fall. But God's forgiveness is there through the blood of Christ. He died, right? For not just our past sins, but for all of our sins. That is what we hold on to. That righteousness comes from him. And God looks upon us as his child. You're mine. You're righteous. If you were to die today, if something horrible were to happen, you would go to heaven even if you yelled out your spouse on the way out the door to church. <laughs> even if it, it, you had this wrong thought, even if you're, you're holding animosity and bitterness, why? Because of Jesus Christ. There's reasons for our trials and trouble. There's consequences, yes, of our sin, but it doesn't mean God's not in your life. So don't go down that path and fall into that hole, but understand that it's our faith, what we believe about Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel. That's the key, you guys. Hold on to that. And that will change your life. You can see why Paul was so motivated, so driven. This, this is amazing things. I mean, he grew up trained in the whole Jewish law. He was a Pharisee. That's, you know, whole Judaism. But then God comes and saves him out of the blue, and he was killing Christians and persecuting them. And 
he, boy, he understands this. It wasn't me. This was Jesus. This is what we need. I'll close with this story. Um, Martin Luther, I don't know if you know his name, the father of the Reformation, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're a Christian Protestant church, you know, different from Catholic church. Because way back then, Martin Luther broke away, went back to the Bible, went back to what salvation is really about. Now, Martin Luther, at first, he was this monk. Yeah, he thought, back then, it was like, if you want to live for God, you've got to become a, a monk or a nun. That's what it was. You can't work or anything if you really want to be for God. So he became a monk. Uh, he rose up in the ranks, and he was teaching at a seminary for priests. And you know what he was teaching? The Book of Romans. He was teaching the Book of Romans. Now, all the monks, all these guys, uh, would take this annual trip to St. John Lateran Church in Rome. Inside uh, is said to have the original steps that were leading to Pilate's place, where the tradition held that the stains on these steps were the actual blood drops of Jesus. They were called holy stairs. So every year, these guys, back in, this is medieval, right, or close to the Renaissance time, right, uh, they, they would go there uh, every year, an annual pilgrimage there. So it was custom for the pilgrims to ascend these steps on their knees, praying um, on each step, going up, pray, going up, pray, going up, pray. And, and when they reached one with these, quote-unquote, blood stains, they were required to kiss them and kiss the steps and pray. Now, this was a, it was a long flight of stairs, so it was very painful. And it was all designed, guess what? To pay for your sins, to atone for your sins. So that was the thinking back then. That's what they did. So Luther was there. He began as others did. But this time, the words in Romans 1.17 was echoing in his mind. I believe it's the Holy Spirit who brought it there. He had slowly been uh, 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 going up these stairs, and in his mind, it was bouncing in there, the just shall live by faith. It seemed to bounce in his head over and over again, growing louder and louder, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But Luther wasn't living by faith. He was still caught up in the superstitious traditions and the thought that we got to atone for your own sins and not the scriptures. But that one scripture was echoing in his mind. Luther, he was living by fear. By fear, said Luther. By faith, said Paul. By fear, said the fathers of the medieval Catholicism. By faith, said the scriptures. Later, Luther wrote this. The righteousness of God I took it to mean God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered this until, and it was this moment as he's going up the stairs and echoing in his mind, Romans 1.17. He said, I pondered it until I grasped the truth. The righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace he justifies us by faith. 
Then he said, the whole of Scripture took on new meaning. Where before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate. Now it became sweet and greater love. The passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. That moment, I believe he was saved. At that moment, even though he's this priest, even though he's teaching, yeah, and in seminary, it was that moment he really came to the realization that righteousness is by faith. And that, that moment, he got up, turned around, went back down the stairs, and never went back there, never to return. He went on to boldly, boldly come against the Catholic Church at that time. The, their political power, everything. Uh, um, if you know a story, or there's an old movie on it too, but you know, read about it. It's amazing how he got back to what the Word of God says and what salvation is about. And he boldly shared that. Martin Luther, I think he's like Paul. And I think you and I, we need to find these truths in our lives so that it would drive us to share that they would become the driving force to share Jesus too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your word today to study. Thank you for this opportunity that we live in a country where we can freely gather like this, Lord, where we can talk, where we can pray, where we can openly worship and openly speak of these truths because it's these truths that set us free. It's these truths that save us, Lord. And God, I pray that as we have heard all this today, as we studied it together, Lord, that it would build up strong foundation, Lord, that no matter what the storms of life may bring, no matter the attack of the enemy, his lies about us and what his lies about what God thinks about us, Lord, may we be able to weather these things because we know the truth of God and we know who you are, what you've done, why you've done that. We know your righteousness, God. We know your righteous act and we know that we are now righteous before you. Unbelievable. I can't totally comprehend it, but I believe it, Lord. And I hold on to it. And I pray that every one of us would do that also. So, Lord, continue to move upon us, Lord. God, we want to give you glory in our lives. No longer always stumbling over and over with the same sins habitually. God, we don't, we don't want to live like that anymore, but we want these truths to transform us, and we want to live that transforming lives. God, heal us now. Be with us now. Move upon us, God. Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.